got your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 46. We're going to speed things up this morning, and we're going to somehow cover 46 to 50. Don't worry, we can do this, I'm a professional. Um, so I want to give you a little, uh, I, I want to give you a little heads up of kind of where we're headed. So we're, Lord willing, we're going to finish Genesis, um, next week. And then, um, we will enter the Advent season. And that'll carry us, uh, through Christmas. And then, um, and then we're going to have, uh, uh, I, I may let Marion preach on all the, um, treacherous murders in the Bible for the month of January since they seem to keep falling on him. Um, we're going to do, uh, we'll do some, uh, just, uh, uh, one shot sermons through the month of January into the beginning of the month of February. And then the, uh, I believe it's the second weekend in February, we're going to actually host, uh, the Lake Oconee Bible Conference here. And, uh, um, Dr. Dennis Johnson, who is, um, uh, premier reformed evangelical scholar of the New Testament from Westminster Seminary is going to come and we're going to kick off a sermon series on the book of Revelation. Uh, figure we've done the first book. Let's do the last book, huh? And, um, and so he's going to come and he's going to kick that off. It'll be a Friday, Saturday, Sunday conference. And then, um, I'll, uh, it'll be downhill from there because I'll start the next uh, Sunday and we're going to do, uh, we'll do a sermon series through the book of Revelation. So I hope that's intriguing and exciting, interesting for you. Um, it'll probably be a little bit different take than perhaps you're uh, accustomed to, but, um, it'll be learning and, um, and I'm really excited. Um, Marion's terrified, so I don't know what to, I don't know what to think. I'm excited, he's terrified. Um, but anyways, that's kind of where we're headed. So this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to just give you this, um, uh, kind of a brief, what we're going to do is we're talking about Jacob's blessing and, um, and we're going to do it under, uh, uh, three situations and then three takeaways. So three situations that we encounter in these uh, chapters in which Jacob is blessing others and then three takeaways, kind of what do we, you know, what do you do with all of this? Uh, here we are living in, you know, 2016 and, uh, what does it all mean? And so that's kind of how I want to cover it. Chapter 46, here's the, here's essentially the breakdown. Jacob hears from God and, um, and so they, that it's okay, that it's safe, it's good for him to go down to Egypt and so they leave and they go down to see Joseph, the entire clan. Um, is listed there. They're, they are all picking up all of the sons, their wives, their children. They're all headed down to Egypt. Of course, you'll remember that the reason that they're being driven down to Egypt is the famine in the land. Uh, not only was Egypt in famine, but Canaan was in famine. And so that's, uh, that's what is going on. When they get to Egypt, uh, um, and they meet up with Joseph, the, there's a situation has been created and prepared in which they take possession of what's called the land of Goshen. And so it's pretty prime real estate that they get to uh, have their their uh, herds on. They get to do some shepherding there. Um, not only their flock, but they get to shepherd some of Pharaoh's 
flocks as well. And so right away as they come into the land, um, they're built up, they're, they're welcomed. Um, it's, it's, the Lord has obviously gone before them and made the way so that they could go there and they could settle in that land. Chapter 47, Jacob meets Pharaoh and, um, it's uh, kind of through this uh, situation that we encounter the, the first blessing of, of Jacob. Chapter 48, we've, we learn that Jacob is near death, and, um, and so there's a situation there in which he meets uh, Joseph and Joseph's sons, his grandsons. And, um, and then chapter 49, Jacob gives the blessing to his sons, and then in 50, um, 49, 50, he dies. They take him to Canaan and they bury him. So let's uh, let's work our way into the uh, into the first interaction. The first interaction that I want you to see is with Pharaoh, and um, that's in chapter forty-seven. This is an, an interesting situation to put it mildly because uh, it's totally unexpected. You you when you think of you know national politics in Jacob's era. Pharaoh is the last guy on the planet that you would expect for Jacob to meet and to have a favorable interaction with, much less the interaction that we see here. Because what happens here in chapter 47, if you look at the first verse, let's just read a little bit of this. Joseph went and he told Pharaoh, My brothers, my father and brothers with their flocks and herds and everything they they own have come from the land of Canaan. They're now in Goshen. And he chose five of his brothers and presented them before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asked the brothers, what is your occupation? Your servants are shepherds, they replied to Pharaoh, just as, your fa- just as our fathers were. They also said to him, we have come to live here a while because the famine is severe in Canaan and your servants' flocks have no pasture. So now, please let your servants settle in Goshen. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you, and the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. Let them live in Goshen. And if you know any among them with special ability, put them in charge of my own livestock. And then Joseph brought his father Jacob in, and he presented him before Pharaoh. And after Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? And then there's some interaction there. Now think about that. When you read this, Jacob and Pharaoh meet for the first time. And at that meeting, Jacob looks at arguably the most powerful man on the planet and announces a blessing on him. That is, he announces the favor of Yahweh on Pharaoh. That's that's unimaginable. That's like the uh, I mean, let's just take the you know, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, Haiti. Let's say Haiti sends uh, their president right off the top. It's not Aristide any longer. I don't remember, but let's say he comes, and he comes and he meets our president, and the two sit down together, and it's their first meeting, their initial meeting, and the president of uh, Haiti looks at Barack Obama and announces the blessing of Yahweh on him. Right? Like, who are you? And Pharaoh had to have been, you know, somewhat in his mind wondering, who, you know, who is this guy? I mean, what gall you have to come 
and announced the blessing of Yahweh on me. I am a God. So what is going on in this interaction? You see, in some small fulfillment, in a small way, what's taking place here in this, in this initial meeting with Pharaoh is that Jacob is becoming a blessing to the nations. By virtue of the, of the famine in his land, the Lord has dislodged him from Canaan. He's gone down to Egypt, which as we've noted before in the rest of the book of, of uh, Genesis, it's never a good thing when you're going to Egypt. But in this instance, as Jacob arrives there and he meets Pharaoh, he is initially becoming a blessing to the nations. He's announcing Yahweh's blessing on Pharaoh. But there's more that's going on there, and that's this. If you go back in the book of Genesis to chapter 12, when God initially announces and begins this covenant process with Abraham, he tells him that he will bless those who bless Abraham and his children. So those who bless you, Abraham, I will bless them. Those who curse you, I will curse you. What's the short of that? The short of that is those the, the people around the world that treat you well, I'll treat them well. The people around the world that treat you poorly, I'll treat them poorly. That's the short version of what happens in that covenant promise. Now think about this. As, as, as Jacob goes down to meet Pharaoh, think about what has already gone on. There is his son Joseph, who has risen through the prison system, through the ranks of servitude, to become Pharaoh's right-hand man. And Pharaoh knows that Joseph is an Israelite. He's, he is of, he, he's, you know, from a different country. Pharaoh knows every bit of that. And yet, he recognized in Joseph, the blessing of God. He recognized that when Joseph came and he gave, he gave a, um, an interpretation of his dreams, and then when he was put in charge of, of, his, uh, of his land and, and of the produce of the land, all of that, as, as that was happening, Pharaoh saw that the blessing of God was on him. And there's every indication in the passage as you read through there. It's not explicitly stated, but the indication seems to be Pharaoh's heart was mysteriously being changed, softened, if you will, so that he was favorable towards Joseph and treated him, wouldn't you say, remarkably well. He blessed him. He blessed Joseph. And so when Jacob gets down there, what does he do? He announces the blessing of God on Pharaoh. And so what you have to say is, all these years later, after that initial initial covenant promise was made to Abraham, it's already being fulfilled. And here is Pharaoh already already reaping what he has sown and the fact that he was blessing and was a blessing to Joseph and to his brothers as they came down there. So that's the first 
story. That's the first indication. You know, and, and listen, if you just turn your Bible, if you turn over right to the, the initial part of the book of Exodus, not all pharaohs are created equal. That's one of the things that, that you'll see. If you turn over to Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, you'll read this. Then a new king who did not know about what? Joseph came to power. See, as time wore on, the story faded in their memory. And a new king came on the scene in Egypt, and he didn't know about Joseph, and he didn't know about the way in which Joseph had blessed that Pharaoh. He didn't understand, and he saw all these people, and what he saw was free labor. And so he went a completely different direction. And so not all the pharaohs, not all the kings of Egypt were so disposed. And, of course, we know in that story what happens. Well, the judgment of God rests on Pharaoh, on that king um, in those later days as they were enslaved. And so in this first interaction, um, as Jacob meets with Pharaoh, we begin to see the covenant promises of God unfolding and coming to fruition as he blesses Pharaoh. Here's the second interaction, chapter 48. It's with Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. This, there's a lot of, there's a lot here obviously that we're not able to cover because we're moving quickly, but, but here in this chapter are there, there's some keys to understanding future tribes, the, the way that things shake out later, but let's just boil it down to this. Jacob realized and recognized how gracious God had been to him. In verse 3, he says, El Shaddai, that is, God Almighty, right? He, um, he understands that he is responsible for his life. And what he does there at the beginning of chapter 48 is he recounts the covenant blessings that God has made to him. And then he asks to see his grandsons, Joseph's sons, now 20 years of age. He wants to see them. And so we read that in this passage, chapter 48, Jacob adopts Joseph's sons as his own. And essentially what he says is, those two sons are going to be mine. I am adopting them. And any other children you have here in the land, they'll be yours. Strange, right? Yeah, what is going on? And here's what's happening. If you, some of you may have a, uh, some of you may have a Bible that has maps in the back of it. If you have one, you can turn there. If you don't have one, you can look at it later. I think when, when they rebound my Bible, they took them out. But anyways, so I don't have them. But if you look in the back or if you look at a map, you walk in one of the Sunday school rooms back there, there's a map that has the 12 tribes of Israel on it. And, and what it is, it's a map of the land of Palestine, and it's divided up into those 12 tribes. Only when you look at the map, guess what? There aren't 12. There are how many? 13. There are 13, and there's one that's missing. Joseph. Joseph doesn't have a plot of land, but guess who does have a plot of land? Ephraim and Manasseh. They have plots of land, but Joseph doesn't. And so in this passage, as, as Jacob adopts Joseph's um, uh, sons, his, his two sons there, 
Essentially, what he is doing is he's multiplying the blessing to Joseph. He is multiplying Joseph's blessing by taking it and giving it to his two sons. And so he's bringing them into his family. And by doing so, he's announcing his blessing on them. And he's multiplying what would have only gone to Joseph. It's now doubled and it goes to his sons. And so he is giving this blessing, making Joseph's blessing greater by utilizing Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, there's a very practical picture here as well, and it's this. What a beautiful picture, if you read 48, and we don't have time to read all the way through it, but if you read through it, it's a beautiful picture of a grandfather and his grandsons. Grandfather kissing them, announcing a blessing upon them, desiring, longing to see them, to be with them, to hold them, to touch them, to feel them, and to have this and to have this very powerful interaction where he announces the blessing of God on them. Jacob didn't always get it right. He struggled, and we've looked at his life and we know what a up and down mess it was from time to time. More mess than not. But when you get to the end of his life, when he's at the end and he's and this section is occurring, you see that this relationship that he has with the Lord has developed and has grown and has matured. And what does he long for? He longs to see what he has finally come to understand be passed on to his sons and to his grandsons. And it's very palpable in chapter 48. Here's Grandpa loving those grandboys and, and announcing the blessing of God on them. Now, just at a very practical level, it is never, ever, 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 ever too late to minister, to love, to pass on the blessing that the Lord has given to you, the way that in which He has blessed you, Children, to grandchildren, to adopted grandchildren, to children that maybe you haven't even had, but you've loved on, you've had opportunity, a la our ladies going to China and loving those children and advocating for them. It's never too late. Listen, God never makes you, He never blesses you without also making you a blessing. He doesn't bless you so that you can squirrel it away in your own little heart somewhere, tuck it away, and never open it up. He blesses you in order that you would go out and be a blessing to others. Jacob didn't always get it, but in this passage, he got it. And he understands it, and you see it, and it's palpable. Here's the third, here's the third situation, and that is Jacob blesses his sons. I just said, right, he's made a lot of his life, has, he's been getting it wrong. It's nice to see this transformation, this change at the very end as he's getting it right. There's, you know, at the very end, Jacob is clearly embracing his relationship with the Lord. He's embracing the working of God in his life. He's embraced the promise that came first to Abraham and then to Isaac and then to him and 
a promise which he was pursuing in all the wrong ways, he's finally understood it and he's got it. For the first three quarters of his life, he, he did it wrong. This last quarter of his life, he's finally embraced it correctly. And at the start of chapter 46, God speaks to Jacob. Jacob responds. He understands. He listens. And then all the way through chapter 49, what do we get? We get Jacob calling his sons, gather around, verse 1, so that I can tell you what will happen to you in the days to come. And then he begins to announce the blessing of God upon them. He's embraced what the Lord has done in his life, and he is sharing it with his boys. And that's encouraging to see. Listen, no matter where you are in your walk, the Lord is not done with you. The gospel is not too far from you. You need it. You need it regularly in your life, a regular dose of the, of the gospel coming in. Even, even in your old age, even, it, it, you know, whatever point you are it, in your walk with the Lord. You've been in church your whole life. You were baptized as a child and you've been in church and you just, you don't even know anything. Guess what? The gospel for you today is as fresh and relevant and needed as it has ever been in your life. And if you're new to the gospel, it's likewise. And if you've never comprehended it, apprehended it, it is for you today the good news that brings salvation into your life. So let's look at the three takeaways. Those are Jacob's three blessings. What are the three takeaways? Here's the first one. We'll attach each of these to parts of the covenant promise, the seed. God was faithful to his covenant children. When you get to the end of the book of Genesis, that is a prevailing, dominating theme. God was faithful to his covenant children. He called Abraham to himself. He blessed him. He gave him uh, sons. He blessed Isaac, gave him sons. The family begins to grow. It begins to fan out. Even though they were, even though they were what we call in, in term dysfunctional, even though they were a, a great big mess most of the time, what you see in the story is a God who perseveres with broken people. Why? Because He is faithful to the covenant that He made. Though we are often unfaithful, the Bible tells us He remains faithful. And so, in this story, all the way through and as we you know, work our way and get to the end, what do you take away from that? Well, I would take this away from that. The Apostle Paul asks a question in Romans chapter 8. What can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? And his answer? Nothing. Really? Nothing? Like nothing? Nothing. Not you, not your neighbor, not 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 your sin, 
not your struggle, not your family dysfunction. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Well, what if I mess up? Oh, look at the book of Genesis. You want to see some mess-ups? Have we not covered them? Yes. But God was faithful. He stayed in the relationship with them. Even when they were messing it up. Even when they were running from it. God was right there pursuing them. Did he abandon Jacob? No. And he won't abandon you. If you have been called of Christ, and you are in Christ, and you are trusting him by faith, guess what? He's got you. Because you are a son or a daughter of promise. And he will endure with you to the very end. Jesus says it this way. All that the Father has given to me shall come to me. And out of them I will lose none. Here's the second part. The land. Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. When they got to Egypt, they took possession of the land of Goshen, which, as I've already said, was some really nice land. And right there in that land, they prospered. They prospered so much that later, when the new Pharaoh comes on the scene, he looks at him and he says, these folks are too numerous. Why, they've, <laughs> they've gone haywire out there. We've got to do something. And he tapped them for some free labor and then tried to squash their numbers. That's how well they were doing in the land of Goshen. But when Jacob gets near death, what does he want? Does he want to be buried in the land of Egypt? Is that what he is interested in? Is, is that where he wants them to, to lay him down so that he can go to sleep? No. Not at all. In fact, what he says to Joseph is, verse 21 of chapter 48, I am about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you, as one who is over your brothers, I give the ridge of the land. I took the Ammonites with my sword and my bow. He's saying, listen, Joseph, there's a land out there. It's for you. It's for me. And Jacob asks Joseph, Joseph, take me back and bury me in that land. Wow. Why? Because no matter how much he prospered, no matter how good it was in the land of Goshen, it would never equal up to the land of promise that God had for him. Now, that's a powerful reminder. No matter how much we prosper, no matter how good the land is, this is some pretty good land. Right? Lake Oconee is beautiful. That's why a lot of people move here. It's beautiful land. They've done beautiful things with it. But no matter how good the land is, it's always still just Egypt. Right? No matter what the land is, no matter how we prosper, we have to be careful, really careful, that our hearts don't become so attached to this land that we miss the blessing of the land that God has promised us. There's a land yet to come. It's the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth. 
And if you are too attached to this land, what will happen? Why, you'll miss. You'll, you'll miss the blessing, the hope that there is in the land to come. You'll die sad because you've attached all of your hopes and dreams to this land. And God says, this isn't the land. There's a, a land still coming. And for Jacob, that was the land of Canaan. For us, it's the new Jerusalem. It's the heavenly Jerusalem that's coming in the new heavens and a new earth. Cultivate, cultivate your love for a land that you don't have possession of yet. That's the takeaway. Cultivate your love for the land that is yet to come. Not so much for this land. Here's the last takeaway. And that's the covenant. The covenant God of all creation has done with us what Jacob did with his grandsons there at the end. And that is that he has adopted us into his family fully and finally. He has brought us into his family. Paul tells us in Romans 8, he says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. You see, when Joseph went and he took Manasseh and Ephraim into his family, he, he... he gave them an incredible blessing as he made them a part of his clan that way. And as they received blessing of the land to come and, and, and as an inheritance to them. And what Paul is saying is God has done the exact same thing with us. If you're a child of God, you are an heir with God, co-heir with Christ to all of the blessings of God. Now, I don't know about you. When I hear that, It's hard for my heart to take it in. It's almost hard for me to be sensitive sensitive enough to that, to to know it, to allow it to bring me joy. But that's that's on me. That's the problem with my heart, right? Is that it's not penetrated by the grace of God in such a way that I'm excited, that, that I revel in, that I take heart in the fact that God has made me a son, a daughter. That you have a family. That you've been brought together. Now that has lots of practical applications. One of them is this. That you're sitting in a room full of other heirs and co-heirs. Brothers and sisters in Christ. People that long to know the fellowship of the Spirit, that long to minister to you and to be ministered to by you. That's just one practical application of having the Spirit of God dwelling in you. Is that you get to walk with other believers and to be encouraged by them. Those are three takeaways from our passage this morning. Next week we'll, we'll sew up the passage with Joseph as he gives most unexpected words to his brothers. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you. We want to praise you for the word that you've given to us.
Father, to understand that you were in work in Jacob's life, Joseph's life, so very long ago. Father, always doing unexpected things, things that we would never imagine, things that cause us to scratch our heads. But that's just the nature of your grace and your mercy towards us. And so, Father, I pray that we would find it truly amazing and that it would stir us to move. It would stir us to look out and love those around us. It would stir us up to do and think and be things that, Father, heretofore we haven't been and haven't thought. Do it all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.